Hello, welcome to Crisis and Kings Behind the Scenes. My name is Alex Israel. I work at Paradise, and I'm sitting with our master educator and the broadcaster, the teacher of Crisis and Kings, Rabbi Michael Hatton. Good morning. Thank you so much, Alex. It's a pleasure speaking to you. <laughs> okay. And uh, we teach together at Paradise. It's 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 wonderful, uh, fruitful environment where we get a chance to uh, discuss Torah. And we're going to try today to dig a little bit behind the scenes of this podcast and um, hear a little bit about um, Michael's inspiration, what leads him, what, what his process is in, in doing this. So I'm going to start off with a, with a question for you. Um, a personal question. You're a Tanakh teacher, but you're also a rabbi. Uh, I even happen to know that you're an architect. I wonder whether that has anything to do, whether that contributes in any way to your, uh, to your study of Tanakh. But so I'm going to ask you, how did you, Michael, how did you come to Tanakh study to become a Tanakh teacher? Um, did you yourself have a mentor um, who led you to this? Tell us a little bit about how you came to this position. Those are great questions, Alex. Um, you know, on, on some level, I think that teaching Tanakh for me um, is unique and special and inspirational. I think that, you know, in terms of Torah, there's many areas of Torah which I thoroughly enjoy. Tanakh holds a special place because I think that it speaks to human experience and our relationship with the divine in a very, very profound way. And, and in that sense, I find it to be an inspiration. Um, there isn't a particular mentor that I can point to. I think in the course of my studies, it was Yeshivat Haritzion that really had an impact in terms of how I approached Tanakh, in terms of thinking about it, um, both through a rationalist lens, as well as through a more spiritual lens. And I would say that sort of the combination of the two is, is very dear to my heart. Um, and uh, I just feel like Tanakh speaks to us today with such profundity because it really is an attempt to capture just about every possible human experience and how those human experiences can be lived out in the presence of God. Wow. Okay. So we've got spirituality, we've got society, and of course, uh, Crisis and Kings. We're learning Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel. And the book of Samuel deals with the establishment of the monarchy, transition from a tribal Israel to the setting up of sort of a, a government, leaders. Um, we, we in Israel have just been through our own little leadership crisis. Um, and uh, we don't quite have kings, but people did talk about King Bibi. Um, having said that, I, I wonder, you know, we live in Israel and living in Israel is, always has its turbulence. We have our fair share of crises here. So... I wonder if you could reflect for a few minutes, articulate um, one or two points where um, your study of the book of Shmuel has actually given you room to, to think about our contemporary Israeli situation. Are there any messages you can take to from the Tanakh to living in Israel? And uh, tell us a little bit about that. This is an excellent question. You know, I think that by and large, in in our text tradition, whether it's biblical or rabbinic, there is an ambivalence about kingship, government maybe, in general. On the one hand, there's a recognition that kings can unify, that kings can do things that are monumental, 
that kings can set policy and ultimately bring us closer to God. I suppose that would be the goal. And on the other hand, there's a very clear caution because kings amass power and power corrupts. And unfortunately, that's often the story, as you know, having authored a book on the Book of Kings, as you know, that is certainly uh, a concern. Um, thinking about our book and reflecting on Shaul in particular, because the first book of Samuel is primarily concerned with his reign. He's a tragic figure. Um, he did not ask to become king. He was chosen. It was thrust upon him. That's always a precarious situation. Either a person will reject the charge or will embrace it. And I'm not sure which of the two Shaul ultimately does. Um, I think Shaul is a tragic figure because he has a fundamental character flaw. And this is what I, I think speaks to our, our modern contemporary situation as well. And that is that Shaul has a very difficult time taking responsibility for the mistakes that he makes. Uh, the classic case is, of course, the charge to destroy Amalek, which Shaul does not fulfill. And he will come up with half a dozen excuses why it's not his fault. And unfortunately, it will be his demise as a result. So that's, that's you know, a lesson for all time, I would say, whether we're talking about kings or just regular people. You know, we all make mistakes and that's fine. We have to take responsibility and try to correct them. Right. And here we are with just uh, almost Yom Kippur. So I think it's a very relevant, right? Take responsibility for your mistakes. Okay. That's a great, a great message. Um, you haven't necessarily related so much to the, the notion of the country. Um, anything you want to add in that, in that regard? The rule of a king, at least one of the rules of the king, is to unify. Because I think there's an understanding that if the tribes of Israel are not united, then they cannot forge some sort of common destiny. And that is a challenge throughout the Tanakh. It is a challenge in Sefer Shoftim, especially the Book of Judges. Shaul will begin a process of unifying the people which will not be completed. And David, who does unify the people, will not actually succeed entirely as well. So this is a perennial message, I think, for us living in the modern state of Israel. I think we realize intuitively and through experience that when we are united, even if it's on only basic, basic things, it makes us stronger and it makes us more capable of rising to the occasion, rising to the challenge. So. I think, you know, I could have probably picked any book in Tanakh <laughs> and that would have been a pertinent message. But I think especially the case with Shaul and ultimately with David and Shmuel Beit without being too much of a spoiler. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, questions of unity. I'm going to take a step back from the book of Shmuel for a second. And I'm going to ask you, you know, you're an author, you write, you've written two books on several books, I think three books now on Tanakh and uh, now a podcaster. Um, so I'm going to ask you, how do you, you have to do a podcast? Is that an easy process for you? Is it a heart-wrenching, difficult process for you? Um, do you just, are you one of these people who just sits down and spills it out? Do you need to prepare pedantically? Uh, is it something you enjoy? How, how, you know, behind the scenes, what's, what's going on with Michael Hattin recording this podcast? Behind the scenes. All right. So in terms of the preparation, 
I find this I find this to be an absolute joy. You know, it's a question of uh, revisiting the material, revisiting the commentary, reflecting upon it, trying to isolate the things that that I feel will be meaningful for our listeners. So, in terms of that part of the process, I find it to be absolutely a pleasure. But um, you know, and I know that there's a special energy in the classroom dynamic when you're in the classroom and you're actually teaching someone or learning with someone that responds in real time, um, that is incredibly enriching. For me, that is the major challenge with the podcast that I'm basically a voice. Um, talking I, to yourself. Talking to myself. <laughs> and I have to sort of imagine that the listener or the student is somehow engaged with what I'm saying, but I have no actual indication that, that that's the case. So for me, that is the major challenge of this medium, without a doubt. Right. Wow. Which is why it's such a pleasure to be speaking to you <laughs> on this podcast. Okay. Well, pleasure to be speaking to you. Now, um, as you said, it's a sort of funny medium, the podcast, because it's all just sound and no visual. So if you had to take a scene in the book of Shmuel, in the book of Samuel, a scene that you've taught, and you had to, if you had a chance to put it on stage, to, to, <laughs> or to, to film it as a movie, um, is there some scene that you think you'd really love to sort of bring alive and you'd love to be able to sort of like dramatize in, in full technicolor and give the, give the listener, give the, the learner, what scene really appeals to you uh, to animate and to bring alive? It would really... You know, there are some really dramatic moments in the book, but I'd actually, I'd actually pick one that is, is easily overlooked because I think it sort of holds the key to interpreting the moment. Um, back in chapter nine, Shaul's father loses the donkeys and Shaul is sent on a mission to find them. And ultimately, Shaul's servant boy will guide them both to Ramah in order to meet the Ro'eh, the seer who is going to direct them on their way, namely Samuel the prophet. At the time, uh, Saul is not King Saul, and he's just like a farm boy, right? That's the way he's described. That's correct. A very good one, actually, loyal to his father and worried about his father's feelings and, and the rest of it, and obviously the welfare of the donkeys. Um, but yes, very simple. Uh, very straightforward and not terribly complicated or complex. Mm -hmm. So Shaul will make his way after the, uh, the, the young women drawing water will tell him to hurry. He'll hurry along. And sort of this whole chapter, once the servant boy takes over, is, is occupied by this mission of getting to the Ro'eg, getting to the seer and receiving guidance. Shaul enters the gate of the city and chapter 9 reports in verse number 18, Shaul meets Shemuel, who is also in the gate, moving in the opposite direction. He says to Shemuel, can you please tell me where is the house of the seer? And it's such an ironic scene because he's actually speaking to the seer, but has no idea whatsoever. That's going to be, I think, um, a sort of a crystallization of Shaul's challenge, which is the text wants to indicate to us that he needs guidance. Mm -hmm. And that guidance has to come from Shemuel, and he has to be able to recognize Shemuel as his guide. And so for me, this little moment uh, sort of captures the essence of what's going to be Shaul's 
great downfall ultimately, which will be bound up with an inability to to sort of accept that guidance from the prophet. Wow, wow! I have one uh, one scene which I always think about in the book. Um, I mean, there are so many. It's such an evocative book with so many colorful scenes. But towards the end, when Saul's about to to die, the very next day he's going to die in war. He goes to visit a witch or some sort of barata or somebody who's going to raise Samuel from the dead. And uh, he's told that he's going to die the very next day. Now, Shaul, <laughs> Shaul is always described as exceedingly tall. And uh, he's Mishich Movamala. He's a head and shoulders above everybody. And it's his it's incredible height, which gives him some sort of like command to the people. And then if I'm not mistaken, it says, Paul Malo Komato Arza. It says he falls coming down and it's like, almost like, you know, if you can imagine the chess piece, the king, <laughs> the king literally collapses. He, he collapses in his place as, as, a, as a sort of foreshadowing of the next day. And some of these things, you know, you just, you almost don't want to, want to be able to film them in slow motion. Like in your scene where he meets Shmuel, Shmuel knows who he is. He doesn't know who Shmuel is. You must want to do a close up of their eyes. And <laughs> it's wow. really, Really quite something. Okay, that's great. Okay, so Michael, uh, you have finished Shmuel Aleph, the first book of Samuel, and you're moving on to the second book of Samuel. So uh, what's going to be in, give us a sneak peek of what's happening. I, I hear that, you know, Saul's dead and now the, the mantle is moving on to King David. So what can we expect in the, in the next series or the next uh, segment of this incredible, really quite an epic story? Okay, so, um, you know, one of the things I, I point out on the podcast, and 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 I know we're we're aware of Alex is that you know sort of the division between the first book of Samuel and the second book of Samuel is an artificial one. Uh, it's not part of our tradition, although it sort of creeps into how Tanakh is currently structured, and it's a convenient one because obviously the first book is really about Shaul or it's Shaul focused, and the second is about David. Um, at the same time, sort of, I want to present an argument that really Sefer Shemuel is about Malchut, right, about kingship, um, whoever the king happens to be. Having said that, right, clearly uh, David is going to be the central figure in Shmuel Bet, and um, David will emerge in Shmuel Bet as the greatest leader that the people of Israel have ever known, uh, at least for the first half of the book. The second half of the book is going to um, introduce us to a different David, and some of the challenges that David will face because of his uh, incredible power and incredible leadership. So, you know, David is a character that I think we get a very unique insight into his emotional and spiritual life in a way that is not true of other characters in Tanakh. Also because of Sefer Shemuel, primarily because of the book of Psalms, Sefer Tehillim, and I'm hoping that as we make our way through Shmuel Bet, through the second book, we will be able to not only see David's exploits, but also gain insight into David's mind and what David is thinking and experiencing and how that might be meaningful for us. Right. Wow. So you're not only going to be looking at the text of Samuel, but you're going to be looking into Psalms, to Tehillim. Sometimes I yes. think Tehillim is like David's personal journal where you see a little bit of what he's thinking, a little a window into his soul. Absolutely. You know, in, in the book of Shemuel, David is a character and his story is presented in third person. And that's how we meet him. And then, of course, Sefer Tehillim, we meet David as, 
you know, in the first person. And that's obviously going to be a very different revelation. So I think that, you know, it's going to be a combination of both of those texts that are going to help us appreciate who this person is and, and their accomplishments. I should just point out, for those that have done the math, David is actually the most oft-mentioned character in the Hebrew Bible, more than Moshe, uh, more th not more than God, but the most oft-mentioned human character in the Hebrew Bible is actually David, the king of Israel. Okay. Now, I know that we are currently in a period where people's travel is very curtailed and people aren't managing to make it to, um, to Israel or to Jerusalem. But uh, I thought I'd finish off with a question and I'd ask you if there's any particular place um, in Israel, maybe in Jerusalem, which uh, a person could visit and be able to gain a window a little bit into one of the scenes of the um, of the story, the stories that we under, you know, that we, we're discussing in the book of Shmuel, maybe in Shmuel Bet, or or maybe in in the first book of Samuel. Are there any any locations in Israel? I remember once I was on in Heathrow Airport coming to Israel, and I met a group of uh, Christian uh, pilgrims who were coming, and uh, I they asked me where I live, and I said in Israel, and they said where, and I said well actually I drive past Bethlehem every day on my way to work, and I literally could have told them that I lived in the Bible that. Their eyes grew and they, they sort of were so excited, you know, I live near Bethlehem. So are there any, are there any places which pop out of the, uh, pop out to you when you go visit them, suddenly you're seeing the book of Shmuel in front of your eyes? Well, there's one that I would mention from the first book, and that's of course the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is not far from where we live, where I live. And uh, in the Valley of Elah, if you remember, dear listeners, chapter 17 was the battle between David and Goliath, David and Goliath, David and Goliath, and the Philistines and the Israelites. And it's an extremely emotional and exciting location to be in. Uh, currently, there is actually a satellite station located in the Valley of Elah with these massive satellite dishes. Uh, there must be 20 or 30 of them pointing to the skies. When the kids were younger and we drove by, I always used to say, see kids, that's Goliath's shields. <laughs> he was really a giant. Um, but you really get a sense of the landscape there. Um, you get a sense of how the Philistines would have approached from the coast and would have attacked. You get a sense of how the Israelites counterattacked and you get a sense of what it means to stand on opposite hills and stare your enemy down. Wow. Okay. I also know that place exceedingly well. And it's, it's, I can certainly identify with everything that you're saying. And um, it's really quite incredible that we really have the opportunity to be here living in Israel and to be thinking about, you know, these places. Uh, one of the places I love visiting is always what the place that they call Ir David, the city of David, the ancient hill where David made his capital and actually captured Jerusalem. But that's a little spoiler for the next season. Um, so uh, I'll leave you with those with those thoughts and those tantalizing images and uh, with the prayer that hopefully the coming year uh, will bring us all closer to one another. Travel will be made a little, little easier and you can all come and visit us in Jerusalem, visit Paradise in person and uh, maybe meet Rabbi Michael Hatton. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and uh, we're looking forward to the next series. Thank you very much, Alex. Shana Tovata Ulla listeners.